Well, praise the Lord. God bless you. Welcome into another Bible study tonight. Let's get ready to go into the Word of God. Let's pray right now. Father, we just love you. We thank you for this opportunity to share your word and your truth. Speak to us, God, afresh, and help us to glean understanding. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you know, I've been in a series. Uh, this is called Answers for the Struggle, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Problems. This is uh, number 25 of this series, which we will finish this year. Um, it's an interesting series we've been doing on the book of Proverbs. I want to uh, make sure that we uh, glean all we can. We're entering into another section of Proverbs um, where we have a turn now and it's an interesting sex segment that comes up. Uh, at this point now, what we're going to turn to is the segment of the Proverbs pulled together during the reign of Hezekiah. And we'll see that clearly as it is announced in the very first verse. <clears throat> and he explains, they explain a little bit about that. So let me just say a bit about Hezekiah and why this is an important section. Uh, for most of you, you probably realize that Hezekiah was an important king, and an important person. His very name means Yahweh is my strength, or Yahweh strengthens. And when we look at Hezekiah as a as a person, we realize that the Bible teaches in Second Kings. The Bible also talks about him in Isaiah, Second Chronicles. The Bible talks about him as being a righteous king. So much so that he implemented a number of reforms within the, uh, the kingdom so that the people became more associated with and more connected with and more aligned to and attuned to the wisdom and things of God. So that when you hear of him, the, the book of Hosea and Micah were both recorded during that same phase of his life and the prophecies were given during his reign. So when you see him, when you hear of him, you got to have to recognize him as sort of the purifying king, the repairing king. He's the king that repaired the temple. He, he purified it and purged it of its, all of its idols. He, he reformed the priesthood. He, he was the kind of king that, that, that would not allow idol worship in the kingdom. He tore down the idols that were there. Uh, some people were disappointed that he even took down the brazen serpent, which some people had began to worship. That, that's the symbol that Moses raised in the wilderness as the children were being smitten. He, 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 that symbol there had become a place where people were beginning to idolize it and worship it. And he pulled it down as well. He took down the, the, the adulterous ways of the people and re-centralized uh, the temple in Jerusalem as a place of worship. He invited others who were scattered around, other tribes who were scattered around, whether they were in Judah or anywhere else in the diaspora of, of Israelites. He invited them to come back to Jerusalem and to worship make a pilgrimage to be there for the Passover. 
he was some kind of king. I, I talk about him now because uh, today, tomorrow will be a celebration in Judaism of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. This, is, this king here is the one who really tried to restore religious fervor among the people. And, and among the, the things he did was during his reign, he had his officials collect many of the, of the writings of, of Solomon, some 3,000 proverbs, and he copied them into a single collection. So when we're reading uh, chapters 25 through 29, we're reading that collection. So, so the, one of the things that you will notice when we're here, this is sort of a, an academic portion of my, 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 my talk tonight because you will see some redundancies from previous chapters maybe written in another way, but they were a part of the collection that he pulled together. And you can see how it, even in the rephrasing, uh, you know, if you've ever written anything, you may have written it one way one time. And then you thought about it a year or two later or days later and rewrote it another way. It's the same message, but in different language. And so what I've done tonight is I want to take this proverb, Proverbs 25, and, and see what we can glean from it for ourselves. I'll break it down into 18 lessons from Proverbs 25. I, I, 18, I, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big chunk, but they're very brief, very brief lessons that you want to get. And there are sections of your Bible you may want to underline if it's your Bible. Beginning at the very first verse, verses one through three, and you will see what I mean about this here. Here it is, it says, these are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the hearts and minds of kings are unsearchable. I want to go number one as authority brings depth. Depth, D-E-P-T-H. Authority brings depth. And, and what, 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 what the, uh, the, uh, the introduction is trying to suggest is that the depth of God is greater than the depth of man. And that God can conceal a matter and those matters that God has concealed, kings seek to search out and understand. God knows everything. People who are, are, are wise, people in leadership, should always be willing to, to get to a deeper depth, a deeper reach. It's just like me talking about the beginning of this, at the beginning of this talk about Proverbs and then talking about the structure of it and how this section is structured. Some, some people who only want to be inspired won't grab that. But those of you who want to, be, to go a little deeper and think about Scripture in another way will want to get the depth of what that means. Yeah, he, it is important that one sees it. Romans 11, verse 33, the Pauline epistles, Paul says this, 
all the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I think Paul has a grasp of this proverb because what Paul is suggesting to us is that you may not ever understand God. His ways are beyond our ability to find out. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't search. Doesn't mean we shouldn't seek it. But his ways are past finding out. God, God's, God's depth is deeper than any human being. Respect to the king. Much respect to the king or the, the authority that has been ordained. But, but, but God is deeper. God's ways are above our ways. God's thoughts are above our thoughts as high as the heaven is above the earth. So too are God's ways above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts. Authority brings depth. Number two, number two comes in verses four and five. It says, take away the dross from, sil from the silver. And there comes out the pure metal for a vessel for the silversmith to shape. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. I want to use this. Abrogation brings dutifulness. Abrogation brings dutifulness. That, that there, is, there is a need at times to get rid of some things before some better things can come to pass. You, you can't use uh, unrefined silver. It has to be heated, and, and that which is impure, that which would make the, the silver unusable, has to be cleaned away, taken away. And what he suggests then is the same thing with counselors for leaders, counselors for kings. You can't have the dross, in this case, using the analogy of the silver, you can't have bad counselors around kings. Because if you do, what you do is you, you ruin the kingdom. But if you get the wise counselors there, then you establish the kingdom in righteousness. Part of what can be said of Hezekiah is that he, he had wise counselors around him because his kingdom is established in righteousness. And it, it, is, in, it is interesting that it is in his reign that these, these uh, proverbs have been collected because wise counselors realize that this information is too good and too deep to be hidden, to be put away. It needs to be exposed. It needs to be implemented into the lives of people. So they collected that wisdom. You can tell that our 45th president didn't have wise counselors around him because they were yes persons who allowed him to do anything. And, and as a result, he, he now is in a, a difficult position because those around him were not wise. They, they, no one could say no to him. What you got to know, in your own life, you're only going to be as prosperous and as blessed as the person who has your ear. Whoever has your ear has your destiny. Let me say it again. 
Whoever has your ear has your destiny. Who's ever speaking into your spirit has your destiny. Whoever's voice you listen to has your destiny. How do I know that for a fact? Because whoever you are listening to will make you, help you make decisions about your future and you need to recognize that every decision you make is going to have an implication and going to be the foundation for the next step of your life. So whoever has your ear has your destiny. Whoever has, whoever's voice you listen to is speaking into your future. And so you be careful about the voice you hear because it's speaking to your future. And if you don't want your future to unravel, then guard the voices you allow into your spirit because they speak into your future. That'll preach all day in a hailstorm. Verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7. I, I'm starting to feel it now. Verse 6 down. He says, do not be boastfully ambitious and claim honor in the presence of a king. Do not stand in the place of great men. For it is better that it be said to you, come up here, than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. I want to I use this. Ambitiousness brings dishonor. Ambitiousness brings dishonor. Now, this is not all ambition. This is simply that boastful ambition. This is that, that, that prideful thing that wants you to, to get ahead of yourself, wear a title that you don't deserve, or go ahead and act like you're something that you're not. That, that boastful ambition. He said, he said, it brings dishonor. You end up going up so high and end up being told, no, 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 sit back down there on the floor. You, no, you, you, you don't sit up here, you sit there. As opposed to being brought up, you end up being pushed aside. I think this is what Jesus had in mind. Luke chapter 14, verse 7. In Luke chapter 14, verse 7, I've got the New King James Version uh, in front of me. Here's what he says. Verse 7 through 11, for those of you who are writing Luke 14, 7 through 11. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him who come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So you, you have to know that the teaching clearly is that I need to function always in humility. 
so that I can be elevated to the position, place, prominence, prestige that God has for me. But I don't need to take that. I need to, I need to go ahead and be wise enough to allow God to exalt me. If God wants to give me a place, he can give me a place. If God doesn't want to give me that place, I'll be fine right here. I'm fine sitting in the back. I'm fine sitting in the back. I like that idea. You know, I, when I was uh, uh, back in, oh boy, I think it was probably back in 86 or 87, 87 probably I think it was, 86 or 87, I was sitting in the back of Trinity Temple. They were having a big service there, and I was sitting in the back, way in the back. Me and Pastor Kimber sitting there together. We were just sitting in the back. We didn't, they tried to beckon us to go up front. No, no, I'm good right here. And it's a good thing I was in the back of Trinity Temple. Because when my wife came in, I saw her and knew she was my wife. Oh! Had I been in the front, I'd have missed my blessing. Y'all missed that one. <laughs> Listen, the, the, the idea here is that you have to realize, don't try to put yourself up. You know, I, I hear these young preachers all trying to get new names and, you know, Reverend Dr. Elder Bishop or whatever. You, you, let me tell you something. Don't worry about what they call you. Just, 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 just be happy to be a child of God. Happy to be saved. Happy to live what God wants you to live. You have to realize that God's going to give you those positions. God will give you titles. God will give you prominence. But don't you try to push yourself into it. Because if you do, guess what happens? You end up getting taken down a notch. And you never know how it's going to happen. Okay. Let me, get, let me keep rushing along. I've got a lot of these to do. Verse 8, 9, and 10 says, Do not rush out to argue your case before magistrates or judges. Otherwise, what will you do in the end when your case is lost and your neighbor opponent humiliates you? Argue your case with your neighbor himself before you go to court. In other words, try to settle the matter. And do not reveal another secret. Don't, don't be out there outing folk. Don't be out there trying to tell everybody else's business or he who hears it will shame you. And the rumors about you and your actions in court will have no end. He said, look, you out there trying to tell somebody else's business when, when you should have kept your own stuff and you should have kept their, you know, sometimes when people get in trouble, first thing they do is think of what, what dirt do I have on somebody else? Yeah, let me tell you something. Everybody has enough dirt on everybody else you don't want to be throwing no mud and dirt because there, there's enough to go around and I promise you something going to land on you. Let, number four is this. Arguments bring devastation. Arguments brings devastation. Number four. Arguments bring devastation. I have to be careful. I don't need to be arguing with everybody. I need to try to work some stuff out. You mad at somebody? Don't, don't try and just go and tussle it out. Uh, I'm taking you to court. I'm, I'm, I'm going in. Okay. Okay. I, 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 I hear that, that, that our past, 
president wants the Supreme Court to weigh in. We're going to find out if they're just justices or not. Because, because the truth of the matter is, it, from my vantage point, he doesn't have a case. The reality is that if the, if the justice is right, he may end up getting what? Humiliated by, by arguing publicly. When this is something, actually, to tell you the truth, if, if what we're reading now is right, he could have resolved it all privately. And never this, we would, the public would have never heard of this. Luke chapter 12, verse 57 to 59. Here's what the Lord said. Yes, and why even of, of yourselves do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him. This is the teaching of Jesus, which follows the teachings of Solomon. So Jesus is teaching Solomon's teaching, and I'm trying to reiterate Solomon's teaching through the voice of Jesus in this text to remind you that I'm not telling you to settle because I think you are. I'm trying to tell you how Bible says you ought to handle your business. He says, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid every last might. Now, now, notice now, Jesus is not arguing whether or not you are right. He's not arguing whether or not you have a valid case. He's not arguing whether or not you, you have a reason to be mad. What he's saying is, you make every effort you can not to put it in the hands of the judge. It's almost like in boxing, you know, sometime years ago, he's always talking about some of boxing was, uh, the judging was bad. And so they, get, they got to a place where, you know, sometimes the wrong person from, from a lay person's eyes looked like one. So you'd hear in the corner, the corner man looking at his fighter saying, don't let it go to the judges. In other words, don't let it go to whatever points they put on that paper. Handle your business in the ring. Settle it now. Don't let it go to the judges. And I, I tell you, the wisdom in that is that you handle business when you have the advantage, and you always have the advantage when it comes to settling. Let's move on. Verses 11 and 12. This is a convoluted one, but I think I can break it down for you. Verse 11 says, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken at the right time. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to an ear that listens and learns. Apples of gold in a setting of silver. Now, is, is he talking about a golden delicious apple? Or is he talking about an ornament, some kind of artwork? It, it may be that what he's trying to suggest to us is that whatever you think is really nice and refined, he says, that's what the nice and refined is, is when a word is spoken in right time. He says, whatever you think is beautiful, gold earrings, ornaments of fine gold, he says, that's what wisdom that reproves, rebukes, admonishes is to a person that will hear and listen. Number five is this, admonishment brings deliverance. 
Admonishment brings deliverance. So whatever part of the analogy you want to pull out from, whenever one gets wisdom, a right word spoken at the right time, or whenever one gets the, even the reproving word that can be heard and dealt with and ingested and, and moved upon in your spirit, he says, that's going to bring you into a place of deliverance or you're going to be made the better for it. And what all of us ought to always be looking for is both to give and to receive the right word. To give and to receive the right word. We want to, we want to hear that which God is speaking and we want to give that which God is speaking. And when I say that which God is speaking, I'm not always talking about a yea thus saith the Lord uh, preceded by a tongue. I'm talking about the, the word of wisdom the word of knowledge. And some of the wisdom will be the wisdom of, of having lived. It'll be, it'll be lived wisdom. Other wisdom will be divine wisdom dropped into your spirit. Some wisdom will, become, will be from training that you will, you will receive. So, so there are a lot of wisdom that God can drop on us that we can then function in and then do well. But always realize that admonishment brings deliverance and, and the fear of telling someone right from wrong should never keep us from doing what was right. It's just how we put it. I'm, I'm not always the best at, at, at giving, uh, you know, harsh words. I don't like to speak harsh to people, although I have and I do from time to time. I don't like to do that because that's not my style. But if I have to, I can come up in my spirit and say what needs to be said. But I always have done it in a manner in which not to offend you or not to, not to hurt you, but to help you. Because, you know, if someone is about to fall off a cliff, you can't just say, oh, uh, my brother, my sister, there's an edge right there. No, I might have to say, hey, 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 there's an edge over there. You got to go over. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to save you from the cliff. And I'm not even trying to save you from the cliff. I'm trying to save you from the fall. Because at the bottom of the fall is never good. Okay, number, verse 13. Verse 13, like the cold of snow bought from the mountain in the time of harvest. So is the faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the life of his masters. Now, this is a, an interesting here because the cold of snow uh, at the time of harvest would not be a good thing. So he, he's not really talking about the snow coming down in blizzard form. And of course, you got to know we're talking about the Middle East, so it wouldn't be but so much snow anyway. But the snow cap, he's talking about, what he's talking about is the refreshment of water coming in place, the cool breeze that comes down. He says, that, that, he says especially if you've been working the harvest as a laborer and a little cool breeze. Have you ever been outside when it's real hot? and you got one of them nice cool breezes and you had to work out there, or just a little sprinkle 
of water hit you nice and cold when you burn up. Oh, my God. It feels almost like a cow gone bath. You want to say, take me away. I'm sorry. This, this. But here, here between verse 6, verse 13 and 14, is this juxtaposition between good and bad. So 16 is good, 17 is bad. So what makes 16 good? Because 16 speaks to affirmation brings delight. Affirmation brings delight. And what, what, it, what, he, what it refers to is a reliable person speaking affirmation. It, it's a refreshing affirmation brings delight. That, that's what it says. Affirmation brings delight, number, number six. So when the reliable person comes and speaks, it brings delight. It brings delight. Contrary to that, in verse 14, like clouds and wind without rain, is a man who boasts falsely of gifts he does not give. Now, you know, you know when, you, when, you, when you need rain and, and it, it looks like it's going to rain, but no rain come. Uh, when you need the wind, it's like going to but no wind come. He says, somebody who says, oh, I'm going to, hey, hey, doc, 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 next time I see you, I got you, I got you. I'm going to give you so-and-so. And then you see him and you don't get it, and then you see him and you don't get it. I, I got your $25 there. I got your $25. I'm going to hit you up. I'm going to hit you up. And you never get it. He said, he said, he said, y'all, let me give you this. Audaciousness brings deception. Audacious brings deception. Now, what is audacious? It means to boast. To boast. When one is just simply boasting and talking junk, you are what Rudy Ray Moore. And y'all don't know that name. Look him up. My man, Dolomite. Dolomite put it like this. He called it the signifying monkey. Talking loud and saying nothing. And so you, this person is not reliable. They're just a signifying monkey. They're just talking junk. And I want you to understand something. Don't you ever allow yourself to get caught up into being audacious because all you're doing is bringing deception. You don't, you don't need that. You don't need that. People don't need that from you. And they don't need you signifying. Way down in the jungle. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a, that's a, some of you got it. Never mind. You have to realize there's a way to carry and comport yourself and a way to do what's right. And if you, if you promise and you're not going to keep your promise, you might just shut up. Amen. Okay. Verses 15, verse 15 gives us another one that is really interesting and important. He says, by patience, a calm spirit, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft and gentle tongue breaks the bone of resistance. Now, that, that's a powerful hit right there. He says, by patience and a calm spirit, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft and gentle tongue, he says, breaks the bone of resistance. 
Now, now, number eight is this. Amiability breaks defensiveness. Amiability, that is the ability to be gentle, to be soft, to, to be amiable. It, it breaks down defensiveness. So where somebody would, would, be, would, would not want to hear, but when one is coming up with a calmness and a gentleness and a sweet spirit, it, it, it gets through to the other person. But if you come up all bold and bad and being mean and rude, don't nobody want to hear all that. Don't worry, you, you need a favor. You're going to be acting like you got everything going. No, no, no. But, but a sweet spirit, a calm spirit can persuade even a ruler. Now notice he uses this here, which is really interesting because he said a soft tongue and a gentle, soft and gentle tongue breaks the bone. Now the Amplified Version extrapolates it out and says of resistance. And it's a good thing it puts it there because what it's related to is this. In your entire body, the hardest thing in your body are your bones. They're the hardest thing in your body. And what he's saying is that the words that come out of your mouth have the ability to break even the hardest thing in your body, much less your heart, much less your heart. So that if one speaks with calmness and compassion and gentleness and patience, one will get, well, you, let, me, let me put it to you the way we said when I was young, you get more with honey than you do with vinegar. You get more with honey than you do with vinegar. Number nine, I'm gonna move right on. Verse 16 and 17 says, have you found pleasure sweet like honey? Pleasure sweet like honey. Eat only as much as you need. Otherwise being filled excessively, you will vomit. That's the scripture, not me. He said you will regurgitate. Let your foot seldom be in your neighbor's house or he will become tired of you and hate you. Now, let me, let, me, let, me, let me say this to you. What he's saying is, be careful. Be careful not to overindulge. Be careful not to be excessive in anything you do because the excessiveness creates a problem. So number nine is this, absurdity brings depletion. Absurdity brings depletion. And, and I parenthetically want to say develop self-control. Absurdity brings depletion, so therefore develop self-control. Because see, you can, you can overdo a thing to the point that you will become depleted. The, 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 the regurgitation is what? It's a depletion of that which was inside of you, now put to the outside. The neighbor becoming uh, 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 tired of you, weary of you, and disliking you is the depletion of a relationship. What one has to realize is that you can visit folk, but staying too long ain't, gonna, ain't no good. You can't be there every day. Because see, when you move from the normal to the absurd, you're gonna end up in depletion. So anything done to excess becomes sin. That can be any pleasurable thing. 
It could be eating. It could be shopping. It could be, it could be uh, uh, you know, spending or whatever. It could be running up your credit card. Whatever it is, absurdity brings depletion. So if you do it excessively, you can run into a problem. So, but you have to develop self-control. That's the lesson. Verse 18, like a club and a sword and a piercing arrow is a man who testifies falsely against his neighbor and that is acquaintance. Number 10 is this, accusations bring damage. Accusations bring damage. You have to be careful not to accuse people of stuff. You know, sometimes I said people will say things, you 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 will you will be too harsh. No, you gotta be you gotta watch how you do. Because when you make an accusation, you say something against somebody falsely, they can't get their reputation back and neither can you. Because if we if you deemed a liar, then everybody's gonna think you're a liar for the rest of your life. You, you have to be careful. So accusations bring damage, but it doesn't just damage the person being accused. It also damages the person doing the, doing the accusing. He says, like a club and a sword and a piercing arrow. He says, when you, when you start throwing those, those false accusations against somebody else, your neighbor, your acquaintance, he says, it's like you're going to hit them with a club, like you're going to pierce them with a, with a, with a sword. You've got to be careful. No, accusations can bring damage. Number 11 comes from verse 19. Like a broken tooth or an unsteady foot is confidence in an unfaithful man in the time of trouble. Ascendance or ascendance brings defensiveness. Ascendance is the word that means acceptance or, or relying on something else. So you have to understand, there are some people that you should not accede to. You should not, you should not say, no, I, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to trust you to do that. You know, I, I, I'm so blessed we have a, a diaconate here. I could say, can you take care of this? And literally come back after the fact and say, how did it go? I don't have to call every week. I don't have to call every day. I don't have to call, you know, two hours before the event to say, did you open up the door? That's not, you know, because see, if you, if you do, if you rely on an unfaithful, unreliable person, your confidence in them, watch this, this is going to be a good one right here. Your confidence in them is like biting down on a tooth that's been cracked. That's what the text means. It's like biting down, uh, I think the message Bible puts it away, it's like biting down on, an, on a tooth that has an abscess. He says, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt. If you rely on somebody that's unfaithful, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt. You, you, so you be careful who you put your trust in. Be careful who you put your confidence in. Roll it right along. I'm at verse 20 now. Verse 20 says, like one who takes off a garment in cold weather, or like a reactive, useless mixture of vinegar and soda, is he who thoughtlessly sings 
joyful songs to a heavy heart. This is deep. This is deep. He says, in, in a way, he's talking about being insensitive. It's, it's about not recognizing the time. This is not the time for that. This is not the time for that. Uh, we were having a conversation in the office one day, and uh, ministers and deacons were in the office, and, and, and I cut off a conversation. And then the, then the person started up again. I cut it off again. The third time I said to, to the person, because I was doing it intentionally trying to redirect the conversation, because I knew we didn't need to go there. And the person looked at me, and I looked at them, and I said, now, I've cut you off twice. I tried to make it clear not to, not to have that now. So I'm just going to tell you now, let's go to another subject matter. Afterwards, I went to him and I said, let me, let me tell you something. If you know that I know you're talking and I know you have something that's really funny or good to say and I cut you off, know it's for a reason. And then I shared with him the reason and he was like, oh, man, I didn't even think of that. Well, okay, you, you, you don't always think of everything going on. You don't think of who is suffering in the middle of a tragedy. It's not funny when you, if, you, if you're talking about somebody, something that, that someone is going through this rough. And so here's number 12. Number 12, this is it. Aloofness brings depression. Aloofness. To be aloof is not to pay attention, is not to be concerned, is not to watch out. So your eyes are not on the situation at hand. And what, you, what he says is, look, it is as dumb to, to take off your clothes outside and be naked when it's freezing. That's the, that's the take off your garment. That's what that means. Or to mix vinegar with some soda. It doesn't make no sense. It, it, he says that's what it means when you are thoughtlessly trying to sing or trying to act all up when somebody's in mourning. Recognize the moment. Recognize what somebody's going through. Recognize there's a time and place for everything. And the Bible tells you there's a time to laugh. And then there's a time to cry. There's a time to weep. So, so you, you have to know that what time am I in? so that I do not contribute to the sorrows of the sorrowful. I do not contribute to that. You can't always make people laugh when they're going through. And I do know laughter does work like a medicine, and there are some things that we can make fun of and get people to, to come out of uh, situations, but you got to know the time and the individual. Verse 21, 22, I've got to move on. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And I know some of you might look, if my enemy is hungry, he better find his own bread. The Bible says give him, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him some water to drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord will reward you. The principle of doing good remains regardless of the situation or the person. That's the point here. 
you continue to do what's right regardless of how the other person acts or behaves. So number 13 is this, accommodations bring doom. Accommodations bring doom. In other words, here's what we used to say when I was young, kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. Because if they're wrong, guess what? God gonna take care of it. And if, and if, and if they're not wrong, God's gonna bless you anyway. But if they're wrong, God will get them. If, if they're not wrong, God will not get them. And guess what? You get the blessing of having served the Lord by serving others. Either way, you don't lose because you allow God to take care of judgment. You allow God to take care of vengeance. And what you do is you do what God told you to do. That's live right. Be kind. Romans 12, the apostle puts it this way. Romans 12, uh, verses 9 through 21. I can't read all this. Oh, my goodness. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, giving the hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. I, I could keep going on. And then he gets down to the, to the word. Verse 19, beloved, do not avenge yourselves. But rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, he, now he repeats the word that we just read. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, he goes onto his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I could just take that and preach a whole sermon. I'm going I'm to leave it alone for the night. But you, you overcome evil with your good. Number 14 comes in verse 23. The north wind brings forth rain and a biting tongue and angry countenance. Let me give number 14 is this. Abuse brings disparagement. Abuse brings disparagement. He says, look, if you speak sharply or harshly with people, he says, their face, their very spirit is going to show up on their face and their countenance is going to change. They're going to look like they've been whooped. They're going to look bad. He says, abuse brings forth disparagement. You're going to hurt them. You're going to harm them. And there's no blessing in it. Number 15 comes out of verse 24. It is better to live in a corner of a housetop on the flat roof, exposed to the weather, than in a house shared with a quarrelsome, contentious person. Look, 15 is this. Attitudes bring disruption. Attitudes bring disruption. Now, I want to I linger there for a moment because you got to get this. 
whenever someone has a bad spirit, a bad attitude, I don't care if it's male or female, this text is written in patriarchal form, but we'll forgive them because they, don't, they haven't had to understand it yet. Recognize this. When people have a contentious spirit, you would rather be as far away from them as the east is from the west. If you're going to be the contentious and argumentative, you, you bring forth disruption. So you've got to find ways to work through that, to get over stuff quicker, faster, sooner. Deal with it. And, and don't use silence as a weapon. Don't, 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 don't. Come, come on back. I got to, whoo, I'm haunted tonight. Here you go. Number, number 16 comes to verse 25. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a distant land. Oh, that's so good. Approval brings delight. Approval brings delight. Number 16, approval brings delight. Look, good news makes everybody happy. You know, good news, that's what I want. There's a used to song, don't nobody bring me no bad news. No bad news, no bad news. Don't nobody bring me no bad news. There are times you just don't want to hear it. But when you get that good word, it's like having a good drink of cold water. I don't know about you, but out of all the beverages in the world, when you are really thirsty and you really feeling dehydrated and parched, there ain't nothing like a good glass of cold water. I don't care if Pepsi can't make it. The Coke can't do it. I don't care if it's Mountain Dew Sprite. I don't care if it's your favorite cherry Coke. But I don't care what it is. It is not going to make up for a glass of cold water on a hot day. He uses that analogy to say, hey, that's what good news is like. It just brings you delight. Number 17 comes out of verse 26. Like a muddied fountain and a polluted spring is a righteous man who yields and compromises in, in integrity before the wicked. Atrociousness brings disappointment. Number 17, atrociousness brings disappointment. Let me tell you something. There's nothing worse than seeing a good person yield their integrity for dumb stuff. You just, you just, ah. You, 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 you don't even get mad at them. You're just disappointed. I'm just disappointed. You, you, really? You did, really? You're just disappointed. And, and you have to realize that that's what happens in life. And, you know, a muddy fountain and a polluted spring. What happens if you get to a muddy fountain and a polluted spring? You, you were going, you were thirsty, so you were going there, and you got to the, to, the, to the water, and instead of finding clear water that you could pull up and drink and feed and, and water your animals, instead the water was murky and muddy, undrinkable. And so what do you, what do, you do now? You get to a spring, and you think you're going to drink, and then you realize the, that the water's brackish. It's, it's not suitable for drinking. It's not potable water. And so what, what do you do? You're not mad at the mud, and you're not mad at the polluted spring, but God knows you sure are disappointed. And he says that's how you feel when the good compromise their integrity. 
verse, verses 27 and 28 gives us our last one. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. Like a city that is broken down and without walls leaving it unprotected is a man who has no self-control over his spirit and sets himself up for trouble. Appeasement brings disaster. Appeasement brings disaster. When I try to make myself and I try to appease my own desires, lift myself up, get to that high seat, go sit in the front place, give myself placement, and try to make myself more than I am. When I lose my humility, he says, you know, he said, it ain't good to try to make yourself glorious, to give glory to yourself. Don't buy your own tiara. Don't buy your own crown and put it on your head and name yourself king. No, he says, don't do it. He says, because what you have to do is to recognize that it'll bring disaster. So when the walls, when the city's without walls, it's unprotected. When you don't have self-control over your spirit, what happens? You set yourself up for trouble. And guess what he says? You can do better. You can do better. You can do better. You don't have to have that disaster. Well, I love you. I know you didn't think I could get through it, but that's 18. That's 18 lessons from the book of Proverbs. And I was looking forward to the blessings of God. God bless you. I love you. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I want to just first of all invite you, if you are watching us tonight and you have not watched us before and you say, I want to be a part of that church, that fellowship, contact us, please. We have a way you can call us. Call us here at the church. Email us. Text us. Get in touch with us. Say, hey, I'd like to be an, an I member, an internet member. That's what I stands for, an internet member of Shiloh. I may live in California, but I love Connecticut and that Connecticut church. I want to be a part of that. Join with us. We'll be happy to receive you. Also tonight, I want to remind you to give. When you give, you give to the Lord. And we have three ways to give. Give LaFi, Cash App, and by mail. Put down their benevolence, and guess what? The diaconate gets that, and they redistribute it into the community. There are ways that we go about trying to be a blessing all the time. So look forward to it. Give as unto the Lord. Next week, we will start earlier next week. We start at 6 o'clock next week because we are having baptism here next week, 6 p.m., baptism. We're looking forward to having you join us. It will not be the, the long Bible study, but it will be baptism and a word from the Lord. And we look forward to having you join us next week for baptism. Well, don't forget, tomorrow at 1 o'clock, we'll be on for community prayer. Tomorrow, 1 p.m., community prayer. I look forward to having you join us for community prayer. We have been having a great time on the prayer line. Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you want. Well, God bless you, saints. This has been another great night. I hope you've gotten something out of this word. We love you. Thank you, Sister Candy, for keeping up with us tonight. I know we've been pushing it a lot along. I love each one of you. God bless you. May the Lord in heaven smile upon you. Keep praying for each other. I want to keep you all in our prayers. And of course, the Jenkins, Brother Michael, and the, our bereaved family, Sister Lorraine Thomas, and, and to the Malloy Perkins family, and to all of you 
who are going through anything in your life right now, the Wilsons and the Wiggins, Bishop loves you. We love each one of you. Our prayers go with you. And I want to say good night to you and God bless you. Thank you for joining me. And you know what I say. Shalom.